Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We are here to uh, study the book of Matthew, chapter 6. That's where we left off, and we're just starting the Lord's Prayer. We got into verse 9 last time, and we'll review as we always do. Uh, let's see. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. Jesus gives this amazing sermon, and he talks in the beginning of chapter 6 about hypocrisy, about faking it religiously. Uh, look at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So the people will say, what a holy dude he is, or what a holy gal that, that girl is. Um, and he talks about giving and what have you. Uh, and then he introduces the subject of prayer in verse 5. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen. That's their whole motivation. The motivation for prayer ought to be communication with God. Amen. Instead, it's, it's kind of a prestige thing to be seen. Uh, in any case, there's a comforting thing in verse 8 which says, you, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to inform God. I used to read that and think, well, then why, am we, why are we praying at all? Then He already knows. You know what to do. That's my prayer, right? <laughs> prayer is beneficial for a lot of reasons. It's fellowship. It's communication. Um, Fathers know what their children need, but that doesn't mean they don't want to talk to their kids. So we do need to pray. We're commanded to pray. And I've always said that I believe when we get to heaven, we'll realize how powerful prayer was and how little we actually used it properly. So that I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Beautiful. And those of you on Zoom, say amen, wave, or hold up an amen sign if you're at the Harmelin Residence in Awani. Okay, verse 9. Let's read the whole Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it. This then, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, or this day, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. And we covered verse 9 somewhat last week. And um, this is one of those sections where we're really going to go word by word almost. Um, because I think there's a lot here. Keep in mind, it is okay to recite this prayer if you're thinking about the words you're saying. If you're reciting the prayer so quickly that you're not even thinking about the words because it become, it's become like the Pledge of Allegiance or something, you just kind of say it, uh, that's not good. Prayer is communication with God. We talked about the fact that our, uh, the, the, the pronouns are plural when it refers to us. It's never my debts, my daily bread, my father. It's always our, plural, us, we. So in a general sense, everybody that is alive, that has ever lived, every human being, in a general sense, God is their father. But in a specific or <clears throat> spiritual sense, only believers are the children of God. Um, let me take you quickly, and you don't need to turn there, but listen to Romans 8.14. 
which it's in the middle of a sentence, but I'm just going to read 14. Romans 8, 14 says, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Who is a son or daughter of God? Someone that's led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. One more is John chapter 1. Uh, again, if you want to turn there quickly, you can, but you don't have to because we're only going to be here for a second. John 1 tells us something else about who gets to call God Father. Um, verse 12, Yet he's talking about Jesus in chapter 1. Yet to all who, listen, received him, he gave the right to, oh, sorry, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The children of God can call God Father. So it's a very intimate term. We said last week, um, John 8, 42 to 44 says that unbelievers have as their father spiritually, the devil. Hard as that is to believe. You say, I know some unbelievers that are really nice people. There's no third category. You would think there's the people that are the sons of the devil or daughters of the devil. There's the Christians. And then there's that whole middle section of nice people that just don't believe, not, not biblically. There is no third category. Each of us were in that first category before we were believers, sons of the evil one. Um, let's see. It's amazing that we can call God Father since he's the creator, the sovereign sustainer of everything, and yet he's our Father. So there's a community involved in the our, the plural uh, pronouns we said. Fathers protect, provide, discipline, teach, love, expect obedience, and respect. Same for God. So it doesn't say our God or dear God, although you can play, pray that way. This prayer, as we said last week, is a model. It's a template um, and uh, or a blueprint, you could say. There are six petitions in the prayer. Three are vertical toward God. Three are about our needs. Um, let's see. So our father, and then we mention where he is and who he is. The one that's in heaven, in a dimension far above ours, a realm transcendent from anything we know. That's very important. And yet he's in heaven, in that higher realm, and yet he's our Abba our Father. It's beautiful. Um, Jesus always called God Father, except on the cross when he's bearing the sins of the world. You remember when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hallowed be your name. This is a petition. It's a request. May your name, and in the Jewish sense, when you talk about somebody's name, you're talking about all that they are. May we understand all that you are, Father, and may you, your character, your name, be hallowed, honored, glorified, held in reverence, held in great awe. That's what the prayer is. This is worship, right? A part of this prayer is uh, the worship of God. Hallowed be thy name is, in a broad sense, a petition asking God, may your name on planet earth be honored. May more people know about you and may they reverence and worship you. That's the broad sense, or in science they call it macro, big. But then in the micro sense, the same statements can be made in a very small sense in my life. I'm praying, even though I'm praying corporately as a believer, May your name be hallowed, honored in my life. If I'm sinning, if I'm a hypocrite, if I'm mean to people, if I'm stealing, whatever it is, 
God's name is not hallowed. So be careful that we don't pray that and then go off and conduct a very sinful life. Um, it's interesting, in Luke 4, a demon says to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If the demons know that and acknowledge it, shouldn't we? So the prayer starts with adoration and uh, praise for God. Um, let's see, I'm just reading his name. He says in Exodus 3:14, I am who I am, which sounds like double talk, but he's the only one that can say that, God is. It means self-existence. I can't say that. I don't have self-existence. I came from my parents. So did you who came from their parents. God always has existed. He has self-existence. He can say, I am that I am. I exist. I used to exist. I always will exist. Um, other names of God. We don't want to take this forever, and we could. That's a great Bible study, by the way, is Google the names of God in the Bible. It'll tell you about his character. You want to learn more about God, right? That's why you're here. Um, so God declared his name on Mount Sinai to Moses. Listen, the Lord, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the timeless, eternal one. Um, God is love, First John says. John 17, Jesus is praying and he tells God the Father, I have manifested or revealed your name to these who you gave me. In other words, Jesus reveals the Father. You know what you want to know what God's like? Watch Jesus, the way he treats people, the way he interacts with people, the things he can do. Other names for God in the Bible, and this is not a full list. Jehovah Jireh, which means God or the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Elohim, the creator God. Jehovah Ra'ah, which is R-A-A-H, our shepherd. Jehovah's, I'm going to mess this up, T-S-I-D, Sid Kanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Isn't that interesting? That's really Jesus speaking of, he's our righteousness. We wear his righteousness. Um, we are made in God's image. The more we can know about him, the more we can worship him. Um, the opposite of hallowing his name is using his name in vain, swearing by his name, blaspheming him, doubting him. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a kid, did you ever think kingdom come was a place? They're going to blow that place to kingdom come. You ever heard that? Like, it made me not understand the Lord's prayer. This is asking God, may your kingdom, where you are the king reigning, may that come to planet earth. So again, macro, big sense, that's what it's praying. May your kingdom come to the earth. We Christians know that will not happen until the Lord Jesus Christ returns and he'll reign on the earth. So in a way, you're asking for the return of the Lord Jesus. It's telling God, may your kingdom come to the earth, which implies a couple things. Number one, your kingdom already does exist, but it ain't here, not fully. It also implies if there's a kingdom, there's a king, and it's not you. 
or me. If he's the king, what does that make me? Well, I'm just a subject of the king. I am a servant of the king. The beautiful thing is I serve the king as a slave, and yet I'm his son. You're his daughter or his son. That's an amazing thing. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come to the earth. Macro, big. Micro, may your kingdom come to my life in such a way that you are reigning right here in what I think and say and do. May you reign over me in a complete sense. Again, don't pray that if you're continually disobeying him. Oh, may your kingdom come. You don't really want his kingdom to come if you're disobeying him. It's convicting in some ways. So it's the spread of the gospel. That's what you're praying for, that your kingdom would come to people's lives in a real sense. Um, do we want to go there now? Uh, no, we'll come back to that. Okay. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. I always say, if you've been in this Bible study for any length of time, that's the, the center, central phrase in the whole prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I so trust you. I want your kingdom to come where you're reigning, and I want your will to be done. Macro, big version, on the earth. Is God's will being done isn't it already being done on the earth right now? In a sense, yes. But in a sense, no. You say you sound like a politician. I'm Joe Sherino and I approve this message. <laughs> God's will is not being done on the earth right now. Okay? You want to know what God's will was like? Look at the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> Look at heaven, chapters 21 and 22 of the eternal state of Revelation. Between those chapters... There's murder and rape and stealing and lying and injustice and a thousand other sins. It's not God's will. But in a grand sense, God allows these things to happen because we live in a fallen creation that Adam and Eve, who are our parents in a sense, chose. Thy will, may your will be done. Jesus prayed it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember? If there's any way for this cup, the suffering on the cross, to pass away from me, let it happen. But, he says, not my will, but your will be done. I have a feeling if you're like me, you catch yourself praying to God, this is my will. Here's what I want. I want this. I want this. Instead, we ought to be saying to him, I'm in this situation. Your will be done. Right? How can we be so sure that his will is the best thing? Because he's God. He has knowledge you and I don't, power you and I don't. His will, listen, is always the best thing. If I need humbling, his will might be for me for a time to be suffering or injured in some way or whatever God needs to do to get your attention. He'll do. It's a prayer for God to act in my life and let his will be done the same way that it is, listen, in heaven. In that realm, everything's his will. So uh, it is a another petition. These are petitions about God. May your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth someday at will, the way it is in heaven. Those are the three petitions that are heaven bound. They're all about uh, God, if you will. The three parts of salvation, you may remember, this is going to be on the test, so write it down. Justification, 
sanctification, glorification. Fancy, you know, Christian words, church words. Listen, justification is the moment a sinner believes in Jesus, repents of his sin, and turns to him and says, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Justification, they're justified at that second. They are saved at that second. They're forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future. At that second, they're saved. But step two, sanctification, the lifelong process of God making you and I more like him and less like the old me and the old you. Taking away bad habits, taking away swearing or drinking or drugs or violence or anger or hatred or unforgiving attitudes or whatever it may be, lifelong process, sanctification. I'm going to tie this all in. may not seem like it, but I will. Third phase, glorification. When does that happen? In a sense, when you die as a believer, but in an ultimate sense, when Jesus returns and we're changed in an instant into bodies that can't die or get sick or ever sin, glorification. Three phases of salvation. Um, those three phases correspond to his kingdom comes through salvation, justification. Um, sanctification is um, his will being done. His kingdom comes in an ultimate sense when he returns. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. This prayer, thy will be done, is me or you asking God, help me to do your will. Right? In every situation you and I find ourselves in, there's always my will, your will, God's will. If we seek God's will, we will never be disappointed. His good and, good and perfect an acceptable will. That's Romans 12 talks about that. It's good. As a young Christian, I remember having so much fun sinning that when I came to Christ, I remember thinking, am I positive that your will is better than mine? I'm afraid I'm going to have a lot less fun as a Christian, not doing those sinful things. What a dumb thing to think, but I thought it. I now see that none of those things were any good, and his will is absolutely uh, the best thing that could happen. We talked about that and that. Jesus says in Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to her, how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Remember all that? That's an example of God's will is not happening on the earth in a complete sense right now. It will one day. Okay, the last three petitions are having to do with people, you and I. Let's look at them. Verse 11, give us our daily bread, verse 12, and forgive us our trespasses or debts, it means sins, as we also have forgiven our trespassers or debtors. Verse 13, and lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We'll get to uh, an addendum that is not in the oldest manuscripts, but we'll talk about it in a second. If you notice, I'm skipping it. That's on purpose. Um, we talked about that. Okay, so these are the three essential needs of man, and they are uh, I want to show you that there's the three essential needs of man, the three spheres of time are covered here, and 
the Trinity is here. You say, I didn't see that. Well, you will. Hold on. Number one, bread in the Old Testament, in the Jewish way of thinking, it's not just bread. It's what we need to live. Daily food, water would be included. He's not saying give us our monthly allotment of food so I can store it up. Notice that it's daily to remind us of our absolute dependence on him. Daily bread. Now, I admit in America, I doubt there's anybody on Zoom or in this room that thinks, I wonder if we're going to have food tomorrow. There's nothing to eat in any cupboard or in the fridge or in any drawer. There's no food at our house anywhere. If that's the case, by the way, come and see me afterwards. This church will help you, right? And you can eat the treats if you show up Tuesday nights. So this daily bread thing for us can lose its meaning in a sense. To Jesus's audience, most people, by the way, the Roman Empire is in full swing when Jesus is talking. About half of the Roman Empire, the population, were slaves. They lived one day at a time. There was no, we've got food for a week or a month or a year stored, day, one day at a time. And they were paid, not weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, daily. So to get daily bread, you're asking God to sustain me for one more day. I'm not even talking about tomorrow here. I trust you, God. But it's asking for um, sustenance, maintenance of life. The Father, God, the sustainer is the one who does that. The daily bread, um, I meant to say this again. I said it last week. Most of the words in this prayer are spiritual, not physical. Our Father, spiritual, who art in heaven, spiritual, hallowed, worshiped, holy be your name. It's not a physical thing primarily. Your kingdom may it come. Is it a kingdom like an elected kingdom on the earth? No, it's a spiritual kingdom. Your will be done. That might be both, but it's really more spiritually. On earth the way it is in heaven, spiritual. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the first one that's actually more physical, right? Daily sustenance. It's needs, not greeds. But there are scholars that say even this one might be spiritual. Because Jesus in John 6 says, I am the bread of life. Remember that? And he doesn't mean he's a loaf of bread. He means you want real sustenance spiritually. It's him, right? He's the bread of life, what you need to live um, spiritually. So um, asking for bread is... Uh, admitting our physical needs are in his hands. We are totally dependent. Um, so let's see. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, a lot of people lived hand to mouth at that time. There are people on the earth today that live hand to mouth, obviously, as well. But it's a daily acknowledgement that everything we need, he's providing, right? Um, and by the way, you may say, well, I work for a living and I earn money. That's how we get daily bread. That's how we get food and water. May I say, who gave you the ability that you have, to, that you use at your work, and the health to be able to do it, and the, and the willingness to be able to do it, and the opportunity that you live in an area where there's work, and we could go on and on. God provides all of that. Uh, 
Uh, you know, I better save that for later. Okay. Um, uh, notice again, it's plural, give us. We're praying for other believers as well, aren't we? Daily provisions. Uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, godliness with con contentment is great gain. Contentment. We brought nothing in the world, we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So uh, we already talked about that. Do you remember when the Jews were given bread from heaven called manna? Do you remember that? Interestingly, the word in Hebrew, manna, means, what is it? That's what it means. Came from heaven. It was delicious. It was healthy. It was bread from heaven. They didn't call it bread. They called it, what is it? That's what manna is. I love that. Um, so Jesus compares himself to the bread from heaven. Why are you bringing manna up? Because God provided it. Do you remember? Once a day. Daily bread. The only day that was the exception was the Sabbath. Don't collect any bread on the Sabbath. Um, if you tried to store extra bread, it would spoil. Do you remember that as you read the Old Testament? The exception was going into the Sabbath. If you had extra the day before the Sabbath, it would last you for the next day. God providing needs, not greeds. It is mankind's um, sinful bent, if you will, to hoard stuff. Daily, yeah, I've got a... Um, I've got to, whoops, my phone's ringing. Wow. I've got to, um, I, I've got to store up more and have more than everybody else. And daily sustenance, trusting God to uh, provide. Daily meaning now, um, providing. Yeah, we already talked about needs, not greeds. Uh, and we talked about that, didn't we? Um, Keep in mind, this prayer is a model. There are things you need that are not mentioned in this prayer. If you work for a living and support your family, or both of you work, or whatever the case may be, you need a job. If you don't have a job, can you pray for a job? Absolutely. That's why this prayer is a model more than it is a prayer to be recited. He says, pray uh, in this manner, basically. Okay. Um, Mary, for example, the mother of Jesus in the Gospel of John, asks Jesus, if you remember, we're at a wedding in Cana. They just ran out of wine. This is, that's not a need, let's face it. Jesus very graciously answers the prayer. Do you remember? After some discussion, if you remember, he says, hey, it's not my time yet, Mom. Okay, I'll do it and water is turned into wine. God is able to meet our needs and provide for us. Um, let's see, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Okay, forgiveness. Did you see that? Asking for forgiveness implies what? confession. It's not here. Jesus is teaching the prayer. He can't give examples of his sin because he doesn't have any, but you do and I do, right? Part of prayer, we said last week, the four elements, A-C-T-S, it spells acts. Do you remember? A, adoration, praise, worship, 
We saw that. Hallowed be thy name, our Father in heaven. Um, C, confession. There it is. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, asking for forgiveness. T, thanksgiving. And S, supplication. Asking for daily bread. My friend needs healing. My other friend needs a job. Whatever the case may be. Um, okay, so debtors implies that sin is a debt. Trespassers implies that sin is a trespass, going where you weren't supposed to go, right? Some people have asked, wait a minute, who prays this prayer? Christians. Okay, aren't all Christians already forgiven? I, I received Jesus as my Savior. You said all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and even future. Yes, that's true. Okay, so why is this in the model prayer? Forgive us our sins. And notice that he connects it with the way we forgive others who sinned against us. We'll talk about that in a second. Why are Christians who are forgiven asking for forgiveness? Okay, theologians way smarter than me have come up with the idea that there is judicial forgiveness. That's the forgiveness I talked about. When you received Jesus, judicially, your sins, past, present, future, were all um, forgiven because they were all placed on Jesus on the cross. With me so far? But there's another thing called parental or relational forgiveness, where the Fellowship has been broken because I have sinned and disobeyed God. I need to ask God for that, telling him, listen, this is what confession, the word confess in Greek means, Greek means to say the same thing. Say the same thing as God. I know that what I did was a sin. I'm turning from it. Please forgive me. That restores the bond. Example, is your daughter or son your daughter? Yes. Is she your daughter if... She steals from you and leaves town. Yes, but the fellowship is broken, right? Judicially, she's still your daughter, legally, but until she comes back and goes, here's the $1,000 I stole, I'm so sorry, then there's coming together. Our sins are forgiven, but we need to keep short accounts with God, confess our sins. The Catholic model I told you before is you go to confession, you try to remember what did I do this week or this month that was bad and make your best guess that I sinned, I did this 40 times and this 22 times, whatever. Some of you weren't as bad as me, obviously. Um, the way to do it is moment by moment. The minute you thought that thought or did something or looked at something or told somebody off, you immediately confess it. It's asking for forgiveness. Listen, there's more though. Who are you asking? God. Why? Listen, this is Andrew right here. If I owe Andrew a thousand dollars, could Ken forgive that debt? Ken says, oh, forget that thousand that you owe Andrew. And Andrew turns around and goes, what? <laughs> right? Who's the only one that can forgive that debt? The one to whom the debt was incurred. I owe him a thousand dollars. This implies, listen, that our sins, every one of them, even if I sin against her or her or him, ultimately I'm sinning against God. And that's why I ask for forgiveness. But if I did sin against him, I should also go to him and make it right, horizontally, right? There's biblical 
precedent for that as well. So asking for forgiveness. The first request was bread, which is what? Physical. Mostly. We said it could be spiritual too, but it's a physical need. Please meet my physical needs, Lord. Second request, spiritual. The biggest need of mankind is forgive me my sins, because sin creates uh, distance between human beings horizontally and creates distance vertically between me and God. So we're keeping short accounts. I don't want the fellowship to be broken. But notice that it's two-way forgiveness. This is someone praying basically this, please forgive me for my sin the same way that I forgive the others who've sinned against me. Ouch. If I'm not forgiving them, I'm asking God, treat me with my sin the way I'm treating those people that I'm not forgiving. You don't want that. It's a must that the horizontal be forgiven before the vertical will be forgiven. He even says so in a second. Um, this is moral, spiritual forgiveness, things we do, say, or think. Sin is the world's biggest problem. Not global warming or climate change, not crime. All those things are, you know, a bad example. Crime is important. War, injustice, child abuse, child trafficking, stealing. There's so much stuff going on, right? We live in a fallen creation. Sin is the biggest problem in, on planet Earth. Dealing with the spiritual problem. John 3.19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why unbelievers don't, on their own, come to Jesus. So we're asking for forgiveness. What's implied is sorrow, repentance, and confessing to God. That's part of the C in ACTS. Take a time during your prayer to actually ask God for specific forgiveness. Help him, help me not to do that again, God. Um, we already talked about that. A decreasing frequency of sin should mark every believer. Let me say it again. A decreasing frequency of sin should mark every believer. Translation, what were you like 20 years ago, Harold? Well, I used to steal. I robbed liquor stores now and then. I beat my wife and my kids and uh, lied a lot and I used heroin. How are you doing now? Good, pretty much the same. <laughs> what? You're a Christian? Oh yeah, 20 years I've been a Christian. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. With birth, comes growth, right? This is a 20-year-old baby you're listening to. He thinks he's a Christian. God hasn't gotten a hold of him. The spirit that lives inside of a Christian would have convicted that guy every time he beat his kids or used heroin or stole or robbed a liquor store, right? Um, yeah, we already talked about that. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. So from where you are, go to Revelation and take a left. That's the easiest way to find 1 John four books to the left, roughly, of, of uh, Revelation. First John chapter 1. I'm giving you a second to find it. I'm stalling for time. First John, four or five books, this left to the left of Revelation. Verse 8, First John 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We 
John understands we're believers now. He's writing this to Christians. But he understands all believers, everybody in this room, everybody on Zoom, you sinned and so did I today, right? In some way or another, outside of the will of God. Uh, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, here it comes. This is the Christian bar of soap, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? If we confess, oh, it's just automatic. No, it's important that we confess. We agree with God. We repent. We tell God. I want you to notice that he's faithful and just. What does that mean? Faithful. He'll do it every time, right? How many times shall I forgive my brother if he sin against me? Up to seven, up to 70 times seven, right? God will keep forgiving us. We have to turn from our sin. He's faithful, but I want to concentrate on the other word, just. That means in modern English, he's faithful and he's fair to forgive us our sins. You say, why? Remember I said earlier, sin is a debt. I owe him $1,000. He can't forgive that sin. Only Andrew could, could forgive that $1,000 debt, right? What's going on here is God is saying in 1 John 1, 9, that God, if you confess your sin, he's faithful to forgive it. He means he'll do it every time, and it's fair. You say, now, wait a minute, sin is a debt. Yes, if you owe him $1,000, the only way out of that is you got to pay him the $1,000. If I sinned against God the Father, some payment has to be made. What's the payment? John, uh, I'm sorry, Romans says the wages of sin is, listen, death. Without the shedding of blood, Old Testament and New says this, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Oh, well, I've sinned against God, so I have to die. That's right. And spend eternity in hell. Or we have another offer. Call 1-800-HEAVEN. Just kidding. The other way to get your sins forgiven is believe in the Lord Jesus, who did die, who did shed his blood as the ultimate sacrifice. So that debt... All sin is against God. Was Jesus God? Yes. The one who was sinned upon against, sinned against, God himself became human and died on our cross to pay our debt. It's an amazing thing. Okay, that's why it's, he's faithful. That's why it's just. Because my Lord and Savior is Jesus who paid for the sin I did last Thursday. Let's go back to Matthew, shall we? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, uh, our debtors who have sinned against us. I like that. Um, this is the Christian ethic that might be the hardest one. It's easy for me to ask for forgiveness. I'm truly sorry for my sin. I repent of it. I just can't forgive him for what he did. What that shows is that person that can't forgive, and I'm going to ask the question in a second. Let me plant the seed now. Who is there that you need to forgive right now that you still haven't forgiven? Maybe from something 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 
parents, grandparents, brothers, sister, ex-wife, ex-husband, boyfriend, somebody that beat you up in junior high. I don't know what happened. Who haven't you forgiven? Because we're about to read that if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. That's why it's important. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but yes, I do. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's see. We, we have to uh, forgive others. There's a lot of questions Christians ask. Okay, well, he did me wrong. I understand. Forgive him. Well, he hasn't asked for forgiveness yet. Forgive him anyway. Well, he didn't pay me back the money he ripped me off for. Forgive him anyway. I can't pay God back for my sin. I got this sweetheart deal from Jesus, right? It, if I can't forgive him or her or whoever, it shows I don't really understand how much I've been forgiven. Oh, I want all that forgiveness. I just am not willing to give it away. And the way you know you're truly forgiven is you're giving it away all the time. And nothing offends you because the God of the universe loves you and forgave you. So instead of getting angry, you just let stuff go because it's all temporary anyway. Forgiving others is the prerequisite of being forgiven. It shows we understand forgiveness. Father, make us generous with forgiveness, just like you've been with me. Um, if I don't forgive, what I'm actually saying is I am a higher judge than God. You don't want to do that. Who do you need to forgive today that you haven't? Who sinned against you to such a degree that it's more than the cumulative total of your lifetime of sin? Nobody. So God forgave the greater debt. Why can't you and I forgive the lesser debt? Jesus tells a story, do you remember about this? A parable about a man that is brought before a king. I'm gonna make up numbers to make you understand. And the king says, pay me the $90 million you owe me. And the man begs, please give me time. I'll pay it back, which is a joke. 90 million, how much time do you need? 100 million years maybe? How much do you make? No, really, please, I'm sorry, I'll pay you back. And the king has mercy on him and says, all right, you knucklehead, go ahead. And he lets the guy go. Do you remember? And then the guy runs into Jeff Harkenrider, who owes him 80 bucks. And he grabs Jeff by the collar and says, pay me right now. And Jeff says, I don't have the money on me. And so the guy calls the police and says, arrest this guy, he owes me $80. That person doesn't understand how much he just got forgiven by the king. In the story, the king finds out about the incident. Do you remember? And throws the guy in prison forever. What's that? Hell. Because he didn't reciprocate the forgiveness he got ver vertically, horizontally. Okay. Yeah, we already talked about that. Let's skip down. We don't usually do this. To verse 14 and 15. Because we're on the subject of forgiveness, right? So in case I didn't convince you about that person you need to forgive, look at 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not 
forgive others or even that one other that you thought of when I said, who haven't you forgiven? Your heavenly father uh, will not forgive your sins. Christianity is not receiving only. It's receiving with the prerequisite that we understand we aren't to hoard anything. If God gives you wealth, we're going to learn in the next section, we're supposed to be generous with it. If God gave you forgiveness, you're supposed to be generous with that. It's hard to be generous with forgiveness when you realize the person that wronged you, listen, doesn't deserve it. Until you realize, oh, neither did I, right? And yet God graciously forgave us. Um, okay, so now we skipped ahead and now you're all confused. Let's go back. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Verse 12 and verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of you have. The way the Greek is, it's really, it really means the evil one, Satan. Okay. A few years ago, I don't remember how many, four or five, the Pope said, we need to change this prayer and take that verse out. Is he right? No. <laughs> uh, let's see. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, what's going on here? First of all, I'll tell you that James says, James 1.13, God doesn't tempt anyone. You can't say, the reason I slept with that prostitute is God tempted me and I failed the test, and God doesn't tempt anyone. He allows tests to occur, or temptations, same word, as a way of you being able to gauge where you're at faith-wise or proving your faith or lack thereof so we know what to work on. First um, Corinthians 10, 13 says that God, this is a great verse, one of the verses I memorized when I was trying to stop sinning and come to Jesus. First Corinthians 10, 13 basically says that God won't let you be tempted beyond your strength. You, no one can say, well, that was more temptation than any human being can handle, right? Flip Wilson, comedian in the 60s and early 70s, you remember? The devil made me do it wrong. We love to pass the buck, don't we? Um, this is a prayer, the third um, petition, lead us. It's God, we're asking God, first of all, to lead us. I like to separate it like this, and lead us. Not in temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. First of all, just lead me every day, Holy Spirit. Lead me, Father. Um, this is a prayer that expresses, listen, our felt weakness. I don't want to be tempted. Le uh, the less I can be tempted, the better. I might fail. Keep me from the evil one. The foolish Christian is the guy that says, I am so together with the Lord. Bring it on, Satan. Go ahead. Give me any temptation you want. Don't be doing that. 
We're not that strong. God is strong. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But Satan is a powerful entity. The less temptation we have, the better. The leading of God, the Holy Spirit. Let's talk more about this after our two-minute break. Make sure you say hello to someone that you don't know. It's important. And there's treats on the back table. Those of you on Zoom, I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. Find your seats, those of you who are here. So we've seen three petitions that had to do with God and three we're looking at now that have to do with people. Give us our daily bread, that's physical. And because it's daily, that is in time, listen, present tense, right? Forgive us our sins, debts, trespasses, that's past hopefully recent past, right? You can't ask God for, to forgive you for what you're going to do next Thursday. That's future. Forgiveness is past. Providing f food or bread is present. The third one is the future, and that's verse 13. Asking God to lead us and keep us from the evil one and from temptation. Um, so past, present, future. Some have said that the three relate to the Trinity as well. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Um, forgive us. Give us this day our daily bread would be God the Father. Okay? God provides for his children. Forgive us. Forgiveness comes from God the Son because of his sacrifice. Right? Don't talk with your mouthful. And lead us not into temptation. Now listen, there's a sense in which God the Father is leading you, Jesus Christ is leading you, but primarily Christians are indwelt by and led by the Spirit of God. The verse I read you from Romans 8:14. all those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So one request talks to God the Father, provide us with bread, one to the Son, forgive us our sins, and one to the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. So um, those are the three things. Is that all you can ask for? No, you can ask God anything. He's your father. Every prayer gets one of three answers. Do you know what they are? Yes, no, and the toughest one, which is wait, not now. Oh, it's a tough one. Um, my wife and I have things we've been praying for for years and we continue to pray for them. Um, okay, I'm still getting to that verse. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, so um, on the break, Michelle came up and said, is it a sin since we have more to have some food stored away? The answer is it's not a sin. Proverbs, there's a verse in Proverbs, it's in my notes and I don't see it right away, that talks about a wise man preparing for the future. If you have the ability to do so, you do it, but you don't hoard that stuff. If they need food or they need food, you give it to them, right? Um, some translations, NIV does not, has the phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, right? How many of you have that in your Bible? Um, it is not in the, the earliest and best manuscripts, meaning what? That someone may have added it later, 
But the good news is, it's okay to pray that because there's nothing unbiblical in that whole statement. It's praying to God. It sort of makes a nice sandwich. It starts with the bread over here, which is hallowed be your name, our Father, praise, worship. It ends with the same praise and worship. For yours, speaking to God, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In that is encompassed time forever. The fact that it's his kingdom and his power, we do not receive Jesus so we can get personal power. You know who does that? Satanists. I can control this occultic power. You think it's going to control you sooner or later. Yours is the kingdom you're saying to God. It's your kingdom. You're the king. All the power is yours and all the glory is yours. What we've read about before this and what we're about to read after is a bunch of hypocrite Pharisees who are trying to get glory for themselves by showing people how holy they are when they pray, right? Or when they give, they blow trumpets. Remember that last week? Um, so the Lord's Prayer is uh, a fine prayer to recite if you think about everything you're saying. What I recommend is that prayer is something you do all day long, talking to God, right? Thank you for this. Pray before meals, all of that. Uh, do we want to go there now? Um, you know what? We should, if you're still in, uh, you're probably not, I am, still in 1 John, go to chapter 5. If you're not, I'm just going to read you something. Um, and I think it's verse, yeah, it's 14. 1 John 14 and 15. There's a confidence we have in prayer with an asterisk. Listen. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. He means in prayer, to ask for things. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. The asterisk in prayer is what you're asking for must be in the will of God. If it is, he will give it to you. Let me give you some examples of prayer that will get answered yes every time. All right, do I have your attention now? If you're still awake, say amen. amen. Okay. Um, example number one, Lord, please make your word come alive to me. Would God ever say, no, I, I don't really want that for you right now? Why? Please, Father, take away from me the desire for material goods that I'm, I'm so materialistic, or take away the desire, the lust I have. Take this sin away from me. Would God ever say, no, I, I kind of like you in the sinful state you're in? He will always answer that prayer. Um, give me a greater understanding of your love, Father. These things always get answered. Prayers that don't get answered. I need a brand new baby blue Mercedes, God, and I need it by Thursday. And I'd like the one with the leather seats and the video screen and the... Might be as well. Probably not. Make me a multi-billionaire. I'll give all the money to charity and to church. Really? He might make you that rich if he knows you're going to give the money away. Do you know the story of J.C. Penney, the guy that started... 
started the store pennies christian man opens a, a, a store starts opening other stores starts making crazy money and he's a christian so they give 10 percent, and he and his wife talk about it and then they give 20 percent, and then 30 40 50 60 70 80 90 percent of their money they gave away to the church and christian causes amazing did he make, did God make that man rich? Yes, because he knew I can trust him with it. Why doesn't he make me rich? He might know that it would ruin you. Have you ever read the stories of people that won the lottery? Yes. No. Marriages fall apart, friendships fall apart, and families argue over it. The cheapskate only gave me two million. That's all he gave me. What a jerk. I'm not even speaking to him now. Listen, be careful what you ask for, but if it's in accordance with his will, we know that he hears us. Prayer is just talking to God. Okay, at the risk of making a huge mistake, I've done this with a few friends of mine, and they, one guy that lives in Fresno, John, tells me he does this every day. He still prays in other ways that we've described, but he prays, because he's an ex-Catholic like me, he prays the Lord's Prayer every day like this. Not these exact words, but my theory is do it slowly and deliberately thinking about each thing. Listen, the, Lord, the, the long version. Meditate on each thing. Our Father, stop. I'm calling the God of the universe Father, that is unbelievable. That makes me your child. Thank you that I'm in your family. I'm in a community and you're our father. So I'm also praying for my brothers and sisters and their needs as well. I'm so blessed to call you Abba, Father. Thank you that you're not distant. And I know that because you can hear me and I can even pray very softly. Thank you that you care, and we're not orphans. We're sons and daughters. Our Father in heaven, may I never forget, God, that you are far above me, greater, smarter, wiser, more majestic, more transcendent. You're in a dimension far above me, and yet you're as close as a whisper or a thought. What an awesome thing. I long to be near you. Hallowed be your name. I bow to you. I worship you, God, and I and all that you are, I pray that you would be worshiped throughout the world and in my life individually. Obviously, don't write this down. I'm winging it here but and reading notes too. But you just are praying God's prayer back to him. But it shows I'm not doing our Father, right now in hallowed be the name, the kingdom come and will be done on earth as in heaven. Right? God doesn't like that. I have a feeling. Just like I consider Jeff my friend here, but imagine if I called you up once a month and said, hi, Jeff, how are you? Hope you're doing really good. How's it going, Doreen? I hope you're doing well. Okay, see you later. Bye. He'd hang up the phone and go, why do I even answer the phone when he calls? Yeah, well, right. Right. There you go. And excite. Is your car warranty out of? Yeah, okay. Hallowed be your name. 
all the names of you in the Bible, God. Remind me that you're my protector, my shepherd, my righteousness, my king, my provider. You're everywhere present. May you be glorified in my life individually and in the world. Your kingdom come. You are the true king, God. And that makes me your subject. May I live my life for your kingdom. And the sooner it can come, the better. Um, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I have my own will and I'm aware that it's faulty. I pray that you would make your will happen in my life. Teach me to be able to recognize things I see as bummers might just be your will to teach me humility and patience and a thousand other things. Your will be done uh, in my life. And may your kingdom come, as we said. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I recognize that we have our physical needs met by you and that we're a community. May I be generous with what you've given. Um, I admit I'm totally dependent on you and every meal in the Sherino household we recognize comes from your hand one way or the other. And we're thankful for it. Um, lost my place. Um, Thank you that Jesus was the bread that came down from heaven, and we ask for that daily dose of Jesus in our lives. May we see more of him and be more like him and less like ourselves. Thank you for providing our needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Lord. And I won't do this now. I want to specifically let you know, I know what I did yesterday, this morning, whatever, was a sin. I turned from it. I'm so sorry for it. Um, Thank you that there's forgiveness in Jesus. I pray that you would forgive me of the sins I've committed, even the ones I don't even remember or know that were sins. Make me aware of them and cleanse me of those sins. I want to please you and live a repentant, righteous life. And in the same breath, the same way that I'm forgiving the people that I've been angry with or that have sinned against me in some way. Help me to be as generous with forgiveness as you've been to me. Lead us not into temptation. I know I'm weak, God, like sheep. I need a shepherd. Um, I don't want temptation. Keep me away from that by your spirit um, that my fellowship with you will never be broken. Deliver me, deliver us all from the evil one. It's a long prayer, isn't it? Um, And I I praise you, God, that you have one day promised to completely defeat the devil. And we will live in a world with you forever where there is no devil, no sin, no sin nature, no death, mourning, crying, or pain. I can't wait. Amen. So be it, Father. Um, Okay. Now that everyone's asleep, uh, we already covered 14 and 15 about forgiving others. I ask you again, who is there? that you need to forgive right now. Verse 16. This is a little section on fasting. Prayer and fasting tend to go together. Verse 16, when you fast, by the way, it doesn't say if you fast. It says when. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, means dress up, clean up, and wash your face so that it will not be obvious, verse 18, to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the passage on 
fasting. You've all blown it by eating those treats back there, <laughs> at least for today. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, what's fasting? It's an abstinence from food. This is not a Christian diet. Don't think of it that way. Listen, it's an abstinence from food or something um, for a specified amount of time to deny the flesh, to concentrate on, listen, spiritual things, usually prayer. Is it healthy physically? It is. There's such a thing as intermittent fasting. You can fast for half a day, fast for a whole day, do a juice and water fast where you don't eat anything solid, whatever. But you don't do it to lose weight. The primary reason is spiritual, to concentrate on God, his will, prayer. Maybe I'm considering a job in Houston and a job in San Antonio, and I'm trying to figure out which one do I do. I'm going to fast the whole day, and please lead me. The point is that you're denying the fleshly need, which is food, which God knows you have. And so if you fast, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be hungry. And the point is, every time you feel the hunger, you're supposed to say, I'm totally relying on you. Not give me a ham sandwich. I'm totally relying on you. Um, I look to you to fulfill my, my need here. I'm reminded of my smallness. Is that a word? And the fact that I need you to answer my prayer. So it's a, it's a spiritual thing for a specified time. Jesus fasted, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Don't try that at home. It's a long time, right? Um, it's self-humiliation. There's confession that accompanies it. And hunger reminds us of our dependence. The Jewish leaders, well, first of all, the Jews were uh, told in the Old Testament to fast, guess how often? Once a year, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, once a year. The Jewish leaders, not God's, God's rule, not God's idea, their idea, they fasted every Monday and every Thursday, two days a week. But they loved the applause of men. So what he describes here is that they would try to make themselves look like they're in such pain. Are you okay, Josephus? My name, if I was a Pharisee. Oh, I'm all right. I'm just fasting because I'm so serious about my spirituality. It's okay. They want people to know they're fasting. Some would actually, I read this, put white makeup on their face so they look so sick and pale and are you okay oh i'm just fasting unto the lord because i'm so holy <laughs> the point is you're not supposed to do it for that reason they have their reward in full you know what that means you wanted from people you got it you got nothing from god spiritually it was all horizontal wasn't it um let's see they're hypocrites, right? Um, yeah, we talked about that too. Um, Jesus assumes that we will fast. Uh, I find that interesting. Um, so if the focus isn't upward, skip it. Might have physical benefits, but in terms of spiritually, you got to do it for the right reasons. Let's look at it again. When you fast, don't look somber. 
They like to disfigure their faces to show people they're fasting. I tell you, they have the reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face as a way of cleaning themselves up so that it won't be obvious. Nobody should know you're fasting, but only your father, I love this, who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a spiritual reward to that sort of a selfless, it's not about me, it's about me and God, and that's why I'm fasting. Okay, treasures in heaven, verse 19. Are you still there? Say amen. amen. Okay, falling asleep. On, online, looking good. Do not, verse 19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the passage. This is a whole section about materialism, greed, mammon, which is a fancy word for money. Jesus speaks more about money than any other person in the New or Old Testament. The Bible never says money is evil. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And his reasoning is, that's why moths and vermin, rats, rust, whatever the word means, there's different thoughts on that, destroy. What's his point? His point is there is no treasure you can store up physically on earth that you can name for me that is eternal or has any spiritual value. Diamonds, gold, dollars, rubles, rubies, cars, Rolex watches. No, this isn't a Rolex. Whatever, all those things, people store them up, okay? And none of that has any eternal value. Ultimately, one of the books Peter wrote at the end of the Bible says, it's all gonna burn. All of it. Number two. There has never been a hearse with a dead body in it that has a trailer with all the guy's stuff. You know why? Because you can't, somebody's laughing, because you can't take it with you. The Egyptian um, pharaohs and kings tried. They buried those kings in, in graves and pyramids with treasure rooms so that our dear king, when he passes on, we're going to have all this gold for him to take into the next world. Eh, wrong. You know what happened? The gold stayed there. People usually, not always, stole the gold. And the dude went into eternity. What did we just read? We brought nothing into the world, right? Nobody is born with a Rolex or gold in their hand, and you can't take anything with you. The point is all that stuff is temporary. In that time, besides money, clothing was a real, not only, not only sign of prestige and look how wealthy I am by this fancy tropical shirt I'm wearing. 
um, but it was also something that was traded as a commodity, just like salt was, believe it or not. Um, his point is all that stuff, you can lose it. It can rust. It can be stolen. That's what his point is here. Um, moths eat clothing. You ever found that out? Add a, a piece of clothing in a closet for a while and you take it on and you go, whoa, Swiss cheese, right? A bunch of holes. And um, things can rust. Rats can eat your treasure. Thieves can break in and steal your treasure. Here it is. He's saying the value of real treasure is real treasure is eternal and no one can steal it. He said, well, what is that? Alarms on the house? No, no, because any alarm can be beaten, right? He's saying real treasure is not stuff that you look at and gaze at with great admiration and, and um, greed. Real treasure is all spiritual stuff. Listen, you all have a place to live. Maybe you rent, maybe you own a home, maybe you own 20 homes, God bless you if you do, and cars, and you have some money and some food, and all that stuff's great, but you can lose all of it. Mike Tyson, at one, the boxer, was at one time worth $330 million, and he filed for bankruptcy. You can lose it. People can steal it. Whatever the case may be, Tim Keller used to say, whatever your treasure is, if you can lose it, there is no peace in that treasure. Right? People that are very wealthy, do you know what they think about? Money. I got to protect it. What if this, what if that, identity theft now, and we need a better alarm and more cameras and lights and sirens, and I'll hire some guards, and it's all going to burn anyway. It's temporary. So, um, let's see. Yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, yeah, there it is, Proverbs, Michelle, Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, that a wise man works hard, he plans and saves for lean times. It's not a sin to do that, but we, need, we do need to be generous. Um, yeah, we talked about money. Uh, okay, so um, what is treasure in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth. We've covered all that. And by the way, there's things that aren't tangible that people do consider treasure, that aren't money, gold, all that, possessions. Stuff like, I have a PhD. That's my treasure. You will address me as Dr. So-and-so, right? Whoop-de-doo. An Esquire behind my name. I have a law degree. Can you lose that too? Sure. When you die, it might be on your gravestone. In heaven, no one says, oh, this is Dr. Davidson. Who cares? People treasure their good looks. People treasure their accomplishments. I won four gold medals. I won the Super Bowl in 1998. All of that matters zero in heaven. That's what he's saying. Heavenly treasure lasts forever, gives real security. You can't lose Jesus. 
John 10, right around verse 28, 29 says that uh, he holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. The next verse says no one can snatch you out of Christ's hands. Do you remember the Allstate, Allstate insurance commercial? You're in good hands. You're in good hands. You can't lose your salvation. They can take everything from you and they might. And in that day, you and I will have to, will really realize what was our treasure. Um, you can tell a lot about what you treasure by your calendar and your checkbook and credit card bills. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? Another one, look in your documents in your, uh, in your computer. What is your life about? What would the, what people would look at if you died and they started looking through your computer? Oh, he was really into this and this and this. And hopefully the word of God is your treasure on this earth. It'll stand forever. Use resources now for eternal purposes. We still have time. Um, I repeat, godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, there have been very wealthy Christians, believers, Old Testament. Um, Solomon was very wealthy. David was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. If they use it for God's glory, Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. Nicodemus was wealthy. Uh, there are others. Okay. I'm reviewing here. Store up treasures in heaven. How do you do that? What are you talking about here? He's saying that you have three things. Time, talent, and treasure. They all start with T. Treasure being money, goods, whatever. <clears throat> talent being things you're able to do, and time. We all have a certain amount of time. It's interesting, we don't know how much time. A friend of mine <clears throat> and I were talking on the phone the other day. I've known him since the fourth grade. <clears throat> we both love football. And we said, well, we know we're in the fourth quarter. We just don't know if it's the two-minute warning or if we're just at the very beginning of the fourth quarter. But the point is, you have time, talent, and treasure. You can use those things and send it on ahead by giving them in the name of the Lord to people horizontally or to God vertically by giving to a church, Christian organizations. You mean just money? No, I said time. Give your time. Your talent. Are you able to fix chairs that need repair? Come to the church and go, I'm, I, I'm here to tell you I can upholster chairs. What needs to be fixed? One stupid example. And your time, talent, and treasure. By doing that, you're sending it on ahead. If you go to Italy, you need euros. They'll take dollars, but they prefer euros. So you got to transfer the dollars to that currency for where you're going. Do you follow what I'm saying? You're going to heaven. Why not transfer some of your currency now into not euros, but heavenly treasures? What you give, time, talent, treasure, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Listen, but motive is everything. 
I always give you the analogy, I know you're tired of it, of I painted the whole church by myself. I bought the paint, the brushes, I cleaned it up. I painted, I didn't even want any help, even from him, and he's a good painter. I painted the whole church. I just did it to store up treasure in heaven. No, you didn't. Why are you telling everybody? Because you want this. Just like the Pharisees, I'm fasting. <laughs> I painted the church. Hallelujah. Good for you for giving your time and your treasure and your talent. But you can tell what somebody's motive is if you don't even know who painted. Somebody came in and did it. They don't want to be known. They didn't want their left hand to know what their right hand was doing. Beautiful. Motive is everything. And we're just about out of time. And my motive is to end on time. Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, let's go back to this passage again. Don't store those up because they're temporary. Verse 20, store up treasures in heaven because there's no decay there. Moths, rust, there's no second law of thermodynamics, which is entropy, which is the law that everything runs downhill. Buy a brand new car and leave it somewhere. Let's come back in 60 years. It'll be a mess. Things run downhill, not in heaven. There's no decay. As a matter of fact, I'm giving you the best investment advice you've ever heard. And I don't work for Charles Schwab or any of the other brokerages. The, the absolute best investment is a heavenly one. Time, talent, treasure. Where your treasure is, we're going to have to do this next week. Same channel. Verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. We'll talk about that next time. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you that you've given us a model for communicating with you, with the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we get to address you as Father. Thank you for this, God. May our prayer lives increase because of what we read. May our fasting, if we do it, be for the right motives, not to be seen, but to commune with you in a deeper sense about a prayer or a need or somebody else's need. And then God, our treasure, our real treasure is with you, the word of God and with you in heaven and our salvation. May we bank like crazy in the heavenly bank by giving our time and our talent and our treasure for your glory, for your kingdom, God. It's the best possible investment. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time, God, and for your spirit that shows up on Tuesdays. I'm the most thankful person about that. Bless these truths. May they change the way we think, the way we pray, the way we fast, the way we give, and the way we live. And lastly, if there's anybody here that's struggling with forgiving somebody who did a horrendous thing or two or a thousand to them, May they see the unbelievable gift you've given of forgiveness and be able to see that through the lens of that other person who doesn't deserve it, but may they be empowered by your spirit to forgive. We pray these things in Jesus' name with great thanksgiving. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know before you leave. Very important. And thank you for being here on Zoom. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.